As an OD business owner, there are times in your career when you have to make life-changing business decisions. In this podcast series, I'll talk to ODs and business owners who have insight into how things really work, which can help you rethink your assumptions before making those major decisions to avoid expensive mistakes while optimizing their outcomes. This is the Think Again podcast from iThrive by GPM. I'm Scott Jens, your host, and today's episode is titled, Why ODs Don't Pay Themselves Properly. Our guest is Dr. Mick Kling from Envision Optometry in San Diego. Welcome, Dr. Kling. Thanks, Scott. Appreciate it. Glad to be here. I have really enjoyed talking about the topic of finance and practice. That's something you're a real expert in. So you told me at one point that ODs generally uh, underpay themselves, and that's usually because they don't have a plan. What do they need to look at to really understand financially how to get a grasp on what they should pay themselves? Yeah, I think the fundamental problem with um, most ODs and their compensation is they don't understand something really critical about business ownership. And that is that you really wear two hats within your business. One hat, you are an employee of your company. And most of us are S corporations. And so therefore, we are employees of the company, just like any other employee in the practice. And we need to be paid or compensated at fair market rate. In fact, the IRS has a very strong opinion about what that is and how that should be calculated. Um, And so we need to be compensating ourselves at at fair market rate. The other hat that we wear is that of as an owner and an investor. And as an investor in any business, uh, I expect a return on investment. Just like if I were to buy uh, stock in Apple, I would anticipate and hope that I would get a return on investment. And that's the same with our business. And so Although we combine the income, uh, we, we often don't realize that we're actually paying ourselves from two different sources as a worker bee in the practice, as an employee, and as a return on investment, we take that often in the form of a distribution uh, out of the company. Instead, what we do is we use our business as an ATM machine, and we just pull money out as we need it without any real controls. And the problem with doing that is it often creates a lot of cash flow stress on the business because we tend to starve our businesses for cash flow that we need for our own personal lifestyle. And so just realizing those two separate sources of income, I think, is the foundation. That's super interesting. Now, a lot of docs don't understand cash flow. You've spoken about cash flow in a myriad of places in our industry, and docs can get their hands on those materials. But this is all about cash flow when it comes down to it, which, you know, is a topic that you can simplify. So give us the summary of what that really means. Well, cash flow is nothing more than timing and timing of when money comes in the practice relative to when money goes out of the practice. And the challenge for our profession is that we deliver care first and we get paid second. That's the worst model you could ever dream up, right? Because we are having to go through all the expenses of delivering care, delivering the service, and then hope and pray 30, 60, 90 days down the road, we actually get paid by the insurance company or if it's a patient that's you know got receivables uh, that they owe us. So it's a timing problem. And so because of that, we have to be extra diligent and, and extra careful about how money flows into Uh, in out of our practices. And we can't be um, complacent about how we're collecting receivables 
and when we're paying our bills, all those things are tying in very critically to managing uh, our, our cash flow within the practice. I think one of the most interesting times when cash flow becomes a reality is when a doctor has paid him or herself a salary for their job of delivering care, as you mentioned at the top of this episode. And then they are looking for a year-end distribution as an owner. If there is some profit at the end of the year as calculated on paper by their accountant and them, then perhaps they look at being able to take a distribution, a bonus out of the company. But interestingly, they may also on January 2nd or 3rd have payroll, which is an expense that they must have cash available for. And is that an an interesting um, scenario for you, an illustrative example for for doctors to understand how cash flow really can impact them? Because I think otherwise it's hard to figure that out in the middle of May or the middle of October. Yeah, you know, the, the most important thing to remember is that profit does not equal cash flow. Those are two separate accounting concepts. Profit is simply a mathematical formula. We have sales or income minus expenses equals profit. And the only reason profit is calculated is to determine what our tax liability is. Profit has nothing to do with cash flow. And I'll give you a couple of examples. One is your CPA can call you at the end of the year and and be very excited because you had a great profitable year. And oh, by the way, write me a $20,000 check for all of the profits that your practice has earned. You pull out your cell phone, you look at your bank balance and you've got no money in the account. And you say, how in the world can I have profit when I have no cash? And the reason is, is because when we analyze cash flow of a business, we don't think about things like distribution pulling cash out of the business. That comes out of profit. We don't think about if we borrow money, the principal payments on debt comes out of the profit of of the practice. So if we're pulling out money in a distribution or we're paying down debt, the principal on the debt, that's consuming cash. So on the one side, we have profit, we owe taxes on profit, but yet we've spent the cash on ourselves or on debt and so we, we, at the end of the day, find ourselves in a real quandary where we've got this tax liability, but no cash to pay the taxes. I see that all the time. And I'll tell you, one of the things that um, I like to remind people of is that we hire CPAs to do two things, file our taxes and whatever you do, make sure I don't pay any taxes, right? <laughs> file the return and make sure I don't pay any taxes. The only way, Scott, that we don't pay taxes is we don't show a profit. So we are inherently at odds with our CPAs about what it is we're trying to accomplish because we're trying to be profitable and our CPAs are caught trying to make us unprofitable because they're solely focused on us not having a tax bill. So always remind people, listen, doesn't mean you can't have a great relationship with your CPA, but just be careful that you guys may not be aligned with your objectives uh, of running your business. But remembering the difference between profit and cash flow is extremely important. And that's why doctors have a bit of a quandary when it comes to figuring out how to pay themselves. They are generally underpaid. I think that they are unsure as to which variables to look at. Goodness, I, I looked at websites, including uh, the U.S. You know, Department of Labor, uh, Bureau of Labor Statistics, and it's saying $120,000 average. That's 
$58 an hour, right? And, and so when a doctor's thinking about generating a pay for themselves as a base compensation throughout the year, what's the most important variable to look at in the business so they can know at the beginning of payroll in January that they can pay themselves consistently through the year? Well, you know, as you may know, I'm a big fan of a, a cash flow management strategy called Profit First. And what Profit First does is it, um, it assigns our owner's compensation relative to the income of the business. So, for instance, um, if the practice has a busy month, then the owner is compensated at a higher wage. If they have a uh, less busy month, then that gets um, the compensation gets affected uh, equally. And the reason that's important is if you take out a consistent wage, the risk is that if you have an, a down month, then you now squeeze the cash flow and gotten yourself into a cash flow pinch. So compensating yourself based on the performance of the business is precisely what private equity does when they hire you as an associate and, and many private practice owners uh, hire associates as well. Uh, so when the revenue's up, the compensation's up. So that's an important uh, piece to understand. The other thing is that the IRS has very clear definitions of how you should be compensated. And it's essentially, you should pay yourself exactly what you would pay somebody else to do the exact same job. So if you're three days a week as an OD, uh, one day a week as an administrator, because you're doing payroll and managing marketing, and let's say a half a day a week as the practice CEO, you should pay yourself a prorated portion of that portion of the job that you're doing uh, as a W-2 wage. And that's not my definition. That's really what the IRS says that you should be compensating uh, yourself at. The question becomes, can your practice support that wage? And I would contend that if it can't, then you've got problems with the expenses on the other side. In other words, you're not managing your, your expenses properly. There's a reason why you're not able to compensate yourself fair market wage. So you need to make sure that those expenses are controlled. So um, the point is that it's, it's fairly easy to calculate what you should be paying yourself. And if you're unable to hit those targets, you really got to look at the expense side of how you're managing the business. This idea that a doctor may have a variable take-home pay every two weeks is something that's really um, uncommonly applied in practice. And I urge doctors to pay more attention to advisory services like yours in order to get more insight on that because it makes sense. The other thing you've told me it really is common in eye care practices is that doctors run a lot of expenses through their practices they shouldn't. And they know they're doing it, but tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so, you know, as I mentioned, we, we tend to use our businesses as ATM machines. And when we need cash, we might pull money out of the practice. So that's one problem. The flip side of that problem is how we have become convinced that we should run as much personal expenses through the business as possible. And while I completely understand the tax benefits of that, it's nice to be able to take uh, the family and grandma to Hawaii for a CE trip. Uh, you know, which is really just nothing more than a vacation. I understand that the tax implications and tax advantages of that. The problem is that's really just another form of compensation because you're, you're taking cash out of the business to pay those expenses and it's really benefiting you personally. And so while that's giving you some tax breaks, it's also starving your practice of really needed cash. 
The other thing that it does is it really makes a profit and loss statement um, unuseful. And what I mean by that is a profit and loss statement is a tool meant to tell you something about your business. But when we're running you know, trips to Costco through the business and we're using the corporate credit card to buy fancy bottles of wine, um, we're, we're actually adding expenses to the business that aren't really legitimate expenses. And it makes the profit and loss report, that statement, less beneficial and less um, valuable to us as a business owner to understand how our business is performing. So I always tell uh, the folks I work with, just I get the tax benefits of running things through your business, but I'm a big advocate of you know, keep your business clean, pay your taxes, and you'll be in the best position. This might be oversimplifying it, but as a last point, the goal here is to try to help doctors understand why they typically underpay themselves and ultimately get them to find a way to pay themselves market. Is there any sort of ABC way for you to give us advice on how they can pay themselves market, which may very well be more than they're paying themselves today? Yeah, two, two things you can do. One is you can literally take the time to say, okay, I'm seeing patients, you know, X number of days, and here's what I would pay somebody to see patients those same number of days. I'm acting as administrator uh, these days, and here's what I would pay a prorated wage for that uh, role. Here's what a CEO would cost. You can simply do that, that, the math of that. Or more simplistically, you can just pay yourself a percentage of your collections just as if you were going to hire an associate. Uh, nationally, I'm seeing anywhere in the 15 to 17% of collections range as, as fair compensation, depending on your if you're on the, the East or West Coast. And so one thing you could do is just set yourself up to be paid a percentage of the revenue that you generate within the practice. And that um, gets you, that, that serves two purposes. One is it meets the requirement of the IRS's uh, fair compensation rules. And two is it allows for those swings in practice revenue, uh, either up or down to tie your compensation relative to the performance of the practice. I might just hit on this as one more final point that you are really big about looking at collections versus revenue. Um, because what we book in terms of what we might make in a practice relative to what comes in is an important difference. So please highlight that as a last point. The only thing that matters is the money we take to the bank. That's it. The only thing that matters. You know, we have um, all kinds of production reports in our practice, but because we write off so much of the um, revenue that's generated in the practice, we really only consider what we take to the bank. And in my world, we call that collections because that's the most um, practical way to describe what we collected. Sometimes people use the term receipts. At the end of the day, the only thing that matters is what you've been able to collect and get to the bank and document, because that's what you're going to pay taxes on. And that's where your reports ought to be all foundationally built from to give you the best and truest indication of how your practice is performing. As always, Dr. McCling, you have deep knowledge and you're always willing to share it. Thank you so much for doing that. Absolutely, Scott. It's my pleasure. And to the listeners, you can learn more from Dr. Kling at his website, impactod.com. Dr. Kling is a contributor to the iThrive community, and we're very grateful to have had him join us. That's it for today's Think Again podcast, brought to you by iThrive from G2.